just before we start the show, I want to take an opportunity to invite you to join me for the Podfluence Weekly Newsletter, which is available both on LinkedIn and through the official newsletter channel. Now, if you are on LinkedIn and it's easier for you to follow there, then please just click on the link in the show notes, which will take you straight to Podfluence on LinkedIn, where you can subscribe for free and get weekly updates on Podfluence articles as well as episodes. If you would like to subscribe to the full newsletter where you'll get additional materials and, as my little incentive to you, my pre-podcast guest checklist for you to use when you're appearing on podcast shows so that you can be fully prepared every single time, then please click the link to the official newsletter in the show notes. Hope to see you there. Let's get on with the show. Welcome to the show. My name's Johnny Ball. This is Speaking Influence, the show where we delve into the knowledge, skills, experience, stories, and secrets of some of the world's best influence and persuasion experts. We have in-depth conversations with people who are out in the world applying and often teaching the tools of ethical influence and persuasion, and maybe sometimes taking a look at the not-so-ethical side of things too. Our guests range from successful authors and entrepreneurs, secret service members, psychologists, marketing and branding experts, even the occasional professional comedian or world champion in public speaking, professional storytellers, former cult members, neuroscientists, voice coaches, professional stylists, political speech writers and public speaking experts, and more besides. Every episode takes our guest knowledge and experience and turns it into actionable information that you can use to build a deeper understanding of how the world of influence and persuasion works, helping you to become a better wielder of the weapons of ethical influence and persuasion in life and, ideally, in business, leaving each of us a little smarter and better off than before. My guest this week is a professor of communication, no less. His name is Ryan Warriner. He is a professor at McMaster University over in Canada. He is also the director and lead executive coach for professional presentation services, his company, and the author of an incredible new book called The Effective Presenter. Ryan has become a good friend. He's a really great guy to speak to. I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation and I'm so excited to be bringing this to you. So all that remains for me to say is enjoy the show. Welcome to Speaking Influence, the show that helps you to master the psychology and application of ethical influence and persuasion in life and business with persuasive presentations and podcasting coach, Johnny Ball. If you're a coach, speaker, or course creator and would like to have a simple online ecosystem for your business where you can create funnels, build an integrated website, sell and host courses and live programs, build your list with lead magnets, manage your sales, create communities and so much more in a way that is affordable and fully supported, you'll love New Zendler. You can try everything out for free. And if you love it, you can register for monthly or discounted annual billing. It's more cost effective than most other similar platforms. Don't pay for a multitude of services you have to then link up manually. Get an online solution that does everything you need in one place. Find the link in the show notes and try New Zendler as the all-in-one solution for your business today. Welcome to Speaking Influence, Ryan Warriner. Hi, Johnny. Thank you for having me. It's a real pleasure. One of the reasons why I've been looking forward to speaking with you today is because some of the things you told me about do and that what you teach and how you help people just made me think, oh yeah, you're a you're a great guest for the, for the show, exactly the kind of person who I enjoy talking to. Let's talk about communication. The heart of speaking influence is really about communication, persuasive communication. 
communication with influence, ethical influence particularly. You teach communication skills. You teach presentation skills to people. So tell us a bit more about mm -hmm. exactly what it is that you do and who it is that you help. Yeah, so I'm a professor at university, so often I work with, in higher education, I work with students who are coming to terms with the fact that they'll have to use their speaking and their communication skills in their career. So typically they're transitioning from the final couple years in their higher education uh, academic career, and they're going into their actual professional career, and they're realizing in their internships and their co-ops and such that some things uh, don't come to, they don't play out the way that they had envisioned it or the way it works in the classroom, right? Like if you're proposing something or pitching something in a meeting or speaking, you're going to have to do it a little bit differently than when all of your classmates are told to listen to you. Right. So yeah, that's typically what I, during the day uh, or during the day, I should say my, my sole job as a professor. And then in parallel to that, I do consulting and, and coaching on the side with clients and in the private sector, in the business world. And it, it's interesting, there are some parallels, but there are also some differences. And I think one of the benefits, one of the perspectives that I have that I think makes me unique, or at least helped me to, to get into this area is while I was through the process of teaching these students in higher education, they were not shy about asking questions as to really getting into the how and the why and the what does that look like. So for example, when it comes to persuading someone, it's easy to say, just persuade someone you need to be more persuasive or use persuasive language but they want to know okay specifically what does that mean in which context so i actually was uh, you know going through the process i was deconstructing it and putting together kind of with them what an effective presentation would look like in different circumstances and we noted how the language changed and there were actual some a lot of commonalities a lot of connections were were made there in my early years talking you know 10 years ago and it was, it's interesting because I think that experience really helped pro propel me where I am now, where these connections are, are almost instinctual and folks like you and I, who have been in this first, first have been in the game for a while, we make these connections easily, but for students coming up, they, they, they're not hundred percent sure on how someone else can persuade someone so easily and why it might be so challenging for them, for example. Yeah. In your opinion, what is it about public speaking or presentation skills, particularly that is so important in the world of persuasion. One of the, I always say when you're persuading someone, it, it's almost like a, a transfer of confidence. So you have to be confident in it first, or at least once you get, once you get more and more seasoned, you can kind of put on a show a little bit, you can present a little bit, but typically it, it's the transformation of confidence. So I'm transferring my confidence in my product, my service, whatever I'm saying to the audience. And the best analogy I've ever came across for this is actually the analogy of, if you think about heating a house and in that, in the house, the, there's all this ductwork and all the, the vents that go to the different rooms of the house and the presentation, the structure, the crafting of it, the language, that's the actual, the ductwork, but the furnace is the presenter, is the speaker. They need to be confident and they need to create enough heat so that it can channel to all the rooms. Right. And I tell my students, the more rooms you heat, the more probability of success, right? The, the increases, moves the needle in your favor. But, but yeah, so it's a kind of a combination of both. You have to have the, the duct work. You have to have a great structure. You have to have a good story that you know the audience will, will resonate with, et cetera. But you, you yourself have to buy in. 
people often overlook that, I find. And do you find that too, John, in your experience? I, I do. I, I find that people often come on one side or the other. They think it has to be all the message or they think it has to be all the showy stuff or the, or the fancy delivery and tips and tools and tricks that you can use in presenting. And I, I feel much like you, it has to be a combination of those two things. You had that was a, a conversation I was having yesterday as well about how even even since the earliest times of teaching public speaking in ancient Rome and ancient Greece, that it was it was a commonly taught thing. But there were two different styles. There were the people who had all the tools and tricks and flourishes and slick presentations, and there were the people who had their transformative messages that they were impassioned about delivering to people and changing hearts and minds. So there was a, the entertainers and the transformers, and they were very different mm -hmm. schools of, of speaking and presentation. And I think we still have that, uh, although I hope now we do have more in between as well, people who do a good job of both. And I think they, I feel that they are both essential in excellent communication. I, I agree. And from, I, I completely agree with you. It jives exactly with, with what I've seen. And in my experience, it's, I have a theory and my theory is that just as you mentioned, it's both right. An effective presentation is a great speaker who has polished delivery skills, if you will. And at the same time has a clear structure, they're organized and they, they know where they need to go with, with the presentation. But typically my hypothesis is that the structure is easier to teach and easier to train. And so because of that. Many people, they, they tend to lean on that or they tend to, to go in that direction as opposed to developing their own delivery. It's much more challenging to look yourself in the mirror or record yourself on camera and try to improve and level up your own, your speaking. Can I give an example? Is that all right? Yeah. I hope you will either. Yeah, sure. So I was working with um, a startup company recently and they had, uh, they had secured my services to help them. They were doing a series B investment pitch. So they were looking for more funding. And I said, yeah, I'm happy to help. So we put together a, a plan and I was, I designed and I built a, a slide deck for them with some paired with a, a script. It was a little bit of a loose script. And then I was, the arrangement was, I was going to coach them and, and train them how to deliver it most effectively. So what happened was I sent the deck over and they, they were insistent. Can we, we need to see the deck. We need to see the pitch deck. We need to see a pitch deck. And in my mind, I'm thinking this is not going to add up to you because you don't have the other piece of it, which is the script and the, the delivery coaching. So when I, I sent it to them, that's immediately what I got. Well, oh, this is, I, there's not a lot of text on the, the slides and there's some missing pieces. And what about this? You know, we need to show them the growth rate. So I, once we got to the actual training component, then they saw, oh, we, we say this. I said, yes, right They're They're looking at the visuals and you're explaining them like orally to them. Because if you show them that, if you know this as well, if you show them the text that they don't want to yeah. read, right, they're there to see the presentation. So I think what, this is not a rarity. I think in my experience with many startup companies, a lot of them in the tech space, many of them, they have this understanding. They think that the, the presentation is simply the deck. And, and as long as I have a good, good slides, I will be effective. And, and to their, unfortunately, some people don't realize until it's too late that it's, it's more you, the person that they're looking at and how you deliver it as opposed to what your slides say. Do you agree? I do. Actually, I do. I think that one of the things that's on my mind with that is that I think a lot of people, when it comes to presentations and speaking skills, are so scared of it or are very 
tentative around it at least even if they're not completely petrified of it people are very uncertain about it if they're not experienced already and sure about what they're doing that they'll be happy with some basic level of competency and so they'll settle for that so i just want to get through it i just want it to be understood want it to make sense and be able to get through a b c d formula done there you go yes project delivered (laughs) there you have it and so how it gets delivered probably takes something of a a backseat to that and yet it can be the most critical element of it i think you can still have a competent presentation or uh, speech without all of the um, emotional side of it or without all Mm -hmm. the presentation skills that can go with it but if you want it to be really powerful and really effective there's so much more that you can add to it. To be honest, you have to just get to a level where you're happy with it and to a level that you're happy with it at your current Mm -hmm. competency because there was going to be that higher level from where you are that you're not at yet. So that gives you the things to keep growing and keep pushing yourself with. So I don't think anyone should stop themselves thinking, oh, well, I feel competent, but yeah, I don't have all this stuff you're saying. So we're going to do it do it anyway don't let that stop you but just know that there's these levels above that as well where you can aim for and if you want to get really good at this and you want to be a great communicator and have people hanging on your word or thinking oh they were amazing then it's time to work on those levels that are above that yeah i agree people they 100 they they need to feel comfortable with what they're presenting because that will be reflected in their confidence and their, their delivery but you're right i some people, I, I like to tell my, I said, it's not a race. It's like a painting, right? So you, <laughs> it doesn't, like you said, I just want to get it over with, or we need to get this finished. Or I can't tell you how many times I've, I've heard like, wow, I'm glad that's over. <laughs> okay. That's not the right attitude. We It's not yeah. the recipe for success right now. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's not, but that, that is the stage that you're at and that's good. Okay. Well, you can be glad it's over, but how about getting good at this? How about going in there and really wang people and enjoying the process as well? And you can only really get to that kind of level when you practice, when you're hungry to learn more about it and when you are eager to improve your own communication skills. Yeah. And it's about people too, right? Like when you realize how you can, how you can infuse or create like curiosity in people and interest. And the way, once you start playing around with it, like you say, you get more exposure, you get more practice, it, it almost becomes for folks like you and I, I'm sure it becomes a little bit like addicting. Like, well, what if I say this next time? Or what if I change my tone? Then what will happen? And you kind of get the stimulus response type of uh, situation. Yeah. I had an interesting perspective the other day, and I think it was pretty much true because it felt right. It felt, I thought, I agree with that, that people aren't really afraid of public speaking or presentations as such, they're afraid of looking foolish. Mm. They're afraid of embarrassing themselves. And I think that what people tend to get focused on more than anything else, thinking if I do this and I mess it up, then I'm going to be thought less of. Mm -hmm. And maybe if, especially if you're doing this in a professional environment where your seniors might be there or your industry peers who you look up to and the likes, maybe seeing you do it. And if you are not great at it then they're not going to think so highly of you there's that chance there and i think that's quite a realistic thing to be concerned about as well because there is an expectation when you look to some of the top people in business leadership over the last decade or so even that they tend to have some pretty decent presentation and public speaking ability do you agree with that 
Absolutely. You mentioned, yeah, like yeah. Steve Jobs, Elon Musk, a few. Yes, absolutely. And I think I, I come from, I always stem from a psychological mindset. As a child, I was always curious in psychology and how people think and how people learn and how that changes. How could two people see the same events and have two different takeaways? I was always confused by this and that drove me into psychology and then communication was my next step. But uh, psychologically speaking, yeah, p- people are more prone and we're not as introspective as we think. But if we actually break it down, I mean, there's hundreds of examples that human beings are more prone to focus on the negative than the positive. Yeah. It's a survival instinct, right? Like that's right. So it comes from many, many years ago. It's been ingrained over you know hundreds of millions of years. And then we think in the last thousand years, we're going to change that. It's kind of ingrained in stone. But so how does that affect today? Well, it's like when you go for a performance review and you're boss tells you nine things you did right. And the one thing you need improvement on when you walk away, you're thinking about that one thing, right? You're not thinking I got 90%. So the same logic applies when you're speak before a presentation, you're thinking more about what could go wrong, right? What are the negative consequences? Like you said, I might look foolish. People might know more. I might look unprepared or unprofessional, right? Like how will this, maybe I'll, you know, get a pay cut or a salary. I'll be passed over for a promotion or something like this. And these types of thoughts creep in and they're really not beneficial. They hamper your ability to to perform and deliver effectively because they're like an app running in the background on your phone, right? They're just like taking up space in your head. So it's trying to deliver while you're doing that. There's a lot of things happening at once, but yeah, psychologically speaking, I think as soon as people know that when people are aware, like, oh, no, this is just my brain. This is what I, I look at the negative first. Once this passes, then I'll be okay. I think they're much in a better, in a much better spot to deliver. what What do you think? Yeah, I, I think so. The times when I see it go wrong for people when they're speaking or presenting in a formal capacity is when they get in their heads. Ultimately, mm-hmm. it's when they get in their heads, when they're thinking about messing it up. That's what exactly what ends up happening because and don't think about that. Focus on something else. Focus on something else. Of course, we, the whole time you're trying not to think about it, that's exactly what you're thinking about. And so, You can't really get away from that. And that usually is then, well, that becomes your overriding thought. So all that practice or preparation that you may have done for your presentation, it suddenly feels out of reach in your brain and inaccessible because Mm. all your brain can think about is, I'm going to mess it up. I'm going to mess it up. (laughs) Mm. uh, Yeah. And that's, of course, what ends up (laughs) happening. It's, It's interesting because I think when I got started in doing more formal presenting and public speaking, I wasn't too attached to the outcome of it. I didn't feel that there was a requirement to be incredible at it or anything like that. I I was really just happy to try it out and see what happened. So I, I already felt that I didn't have too much pressure on me for it. I didn't feel like I needed to be the most Mm. amazing. But the more I got into it, the more I wanted that. I wanted that for myself. I wanted to be good at presenting, good at speaking, and to be able to to get up in front of people. But I think because I didn't have so too much fear at the start of that, I just pretty much went for it and didn't get up in my head about that. And I think that has some to some degree stayed with me that I don't really get into those just wrapped up in my thoughts or focused on what could go wrong or anything like that. And, and I never have. I tend to just focus on what I'm doing, the, mm-hmm. the performance, the presentation, and to be as prepared for that as I can. So I'm not right. saying I have the, the best way or the right way for it, but I, yeah, I didn't have any real fear about it other than just 
the usual sort of nerves that people anyone gets when they're going to do any kind of performance or presentation in front of a group of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm thinking as you were talking, I was thinking back to my personally. I'm like, how did I get? How did I get sir? I think for me, when I have this ability, and I've been told it's unique, I, I didn't. I don't know if it's unique to everyone, but I've been, or if it's common, but I've been told it's unique to me. I have this ability to, once I understand my options, option, okay, going forward, I can do this, this, or that, A, B, or C. Okay, A is going to give me the highest probability of success. Then I don't really consider B or C anymore. So when it applies to speaking, if I know, all right, I have to focus on my audience when I'm delivering and I have to make sure they're getting this message and that I'm helping them learn what I know and think what I think, that when I step up there, nothing else really enters my mind. I'm kind of focused on delivering it to them as best I can and trying to get my message to as many of the people in the audience as possible. And I don't really, the nerves for me, I, I don't know, they always kick in afterwards. So if you ever see me after a talk or I'm like drinking a glass of water or something, I might be like trembling, but during it's usually pretty, pretty calm. Yeah. You get into the moment and in, into the just doing of it. Yeah, I, I think that tends to happen for people. I don't know. There, there are some things that I, I wonder if they're particular to Englishness or Britishness, that a lot of British people could be quite uptight emotionally. We have a reputation for it around the world. It's, uh, <laughs> it's considered okay. to be part of our character. I'm not sure if it's charming or not, but... Uh, that sort of stiff upper lip and the sort of mm. soft stoic thing of uh, you know not really showing emotion but being also being a kind of a bit uptight and unemotional about things and you do see it i mean it's very common and when i've done events in the uk particularly where we've been teaching things like presentation skills or really anything where you need to have somebody presenting and motivating and working with a crowd and and speaking to an audience the getting energy up in a room of British people who often are very resistant to those kinds of things is really, really hard work. <laughs> and it can be just as hard working with speakers who have that kind of mentality to get them out of this thing of that you have to, you just have to be professional. Like there's this whole history in the UK of we're used to seeing lectures more than anything like on tv growing up you would see lectures especially if you watched educational mm. channels which i did a lot but they often they're very dry <laughs> and, and okay there would occasionally be some that were a bit more entertaining and we got to see even some informational programs would be that bit more entertaining depending on who was printing it but so much of the information was just dry and delivered straight and factual and scientific without much emotional stuff so you kind of get used to that and people think that that's how they should be just factual straight laced and mm -hmm. so getting people to go outside mm. of that to go where they need to go to be able to do whatever it is they're setting out to achieve that becomes very challenging taking people out of their out of other people's expectations but out of their own expectations based on what they know and what they've seen growing up from other mm -hmm. people I can, I don't have firsthand experience, but I can totally, the picture you're painting is very clear. Yeah. What would you do with somebody who you working with to help them with presenting and they were somewhat emotionally unresponsive and just kind of dry in their delivery and that you want to get them to be able to deliver a much more passionate or engaging presentation? 
Yeah. So people are, people are generally a little bit unique. Everyone's different, but the folks, sometimes there's a reason for it. Like, as you mentioned, that's what they know to be a good presentation. And I see this a lot with, with internships and, and folks in entry-level positions in their work. They, when it's their turn to present after a year or two of being an intern, they think that a good presentation is what they've seen, which in some cases, if they're in certain industries, it's a little bit more dry, as you mentioned. than than others. So that's what they expect and they replicate. What I try to do when I'm working with these folks is try to, well, first they have to understand like what the outcome they want, what's their desired outcome, I call it. What's the the best possible outcome for this? What will people do after your presentation or after your speech that you want them to do or stop doing that they were doing before? Once we have that, because some people don't give that thought. I'm sure you know, Mm -hmm. right, John? Some people just say, okay, I'm going to go in there. I hope it goes well, right? Or I hope I'm well received, but they don't actually have an idea in mind of what they need to happen at the outcome. So that really helps drive everything else from the structure, the way they choose to create it and design it. And also when they choose to deliver it, because once they know where they need to get to then, or where they need to get the audience to rather, then I find the charisma and the body language and the delivery skills, they come out a little bit naturally. I think people they have them. They've just been a little bit suppressed. And when they realize that when they're speaking and they're in the midst of delivering something, it it starts to creep out. And then what I tend to do is I point that out to them and then we can enhance it and we can, you know, enthuse it even more and, and really embellish it. And then that's when the, that's really when the, the rubber meets the road, because then we're, they realize that a little bit of a difference in body language and a little bit of difference in delivery skills can make a huge impact on their audience. And when that uh, switch flicks, then it's all bets are. Then we just keep going. The house is on fire. Yeah. There's often a case that I think people come into presenting, wanting to be like someone that they've mm-hmm. seen and trying to emulate. Uh, and that might, may not be a bad idea to sort of start with that perspective of, I'd like to be more like that person, mm-hmm. but that's never really what you're going to be. Uh, unless you want to be a cheap imitation of somebody <laughs> else, this far better to work on being a fully realized version of yourself. Mm. And that's what we have to bring out. So as you say, people have the charisma inside of them. People have humor inside of them. So often that is on tap. Right. Delivery stars inside of them. It's never going to be about making you be like somebody else. It's only really ever going to be about making you more of yourself mm. and being able to do that in front of maybe 10 people, maybe a hundred or a thousand or more people and to still be you. And being, it's kind of like, you know, that advice that they sometimes give on shows like American Idol and somebody's just performs it. Yeah, but we want to be we want to be you, but yeah. but more you. You know, what the yeah. heck does that even mean? Well, it's just about turning things up to that higher level, about bringing yourself out more. It's like, yeah, you're there, we can see you're in there, but you're a bit hidden behind holding mm-hmm. yourself back from who mm-hmm. you could be. And that I think is one of the one of the biggest problems that people had. And I know I had that for the longest time in speaking and presenting, until I started doing some improv classes. And actually did some trainings where they really were pushing the envelope and getting us out of those sorts of ways of thinking and being prepared to go up on stage 
and do the foolish thing, be a clown if we needed mm -hmm. to be, and do whatever needed to be done to to get the kind of response or outcome that we're looking for. So you say when you say the outcome is important, it absolutely is. If you have some sort of deep emotional transformation, then you're not going to go up there and do a semi stand up routine with uh, <laughs> yeah. have everyone laughing and dancing around. You're probably going to want much more something that's much more emotional and heartfelt and sincere, maybe with some bits of lightness thrown in there. The outcome is super important to how you go and do that, but your way of doing it is what takes time to develop. And I think that's why I often think that public speaking presentation skills is one of the biggest personal development journeys that people can take. I, I completely agree. To In my opinion, learning to speak well, learning to communicate effectively in a variety of circumstances, like being able to switch your vocabulary, your delivery style, depending on who you're speaking to, to navigate different situations, that is the recipe for success. You know, I was speaking with a friend of mine, a friend of mine the other day, he's the director of finance for the Toronto Blue Jays, actually. And him and I were, were chatting and I said, I asked him, I said, have you ever worked for a, a chief executive officer or a chief financial officer who wasn't well-spoken? And he said, no, they're all fantastic communicators. And I said, well, it, it makes perfect sense, right? You cannot ascend to be a leader or in any like a position of prominence with just the hard skills. You need to be able to communicate that to others. My, my book is coming out in January. I just wrote a book. It's called the effective presenter, and and I, the reason I wrote it, I designed this framework. Of the steps to it almost looks like a pyramid, and it's the steps to complete an effective presentation. And the base layer is three things: it's your audience, the desired outcome, and it's the logistics, so your time and your location. And I find that oftentimes, folks mm -hmm. overlook those. They overlook what they're trying to achieve. They overlook who they're trying to get to achieve it. And they overlook how much time they have to do it, right? They want to include all of this information in, and they only have 10 or 15 minutes, for example. And those uh, three cornerstones I find are, I, through all the research and every, all of my experience, though, before you can design any visual aids, before you can start planning any structure or start working on your delivery skills, yeah. you need to know those three things, right? And that's another thing I, I can get, I could talk to you all day about know your audience. So many people say, know your audience, your audience is important. And that's another thing I teach with my students, like, but what does that mean? What do you need to know about them? And how will they have had that question? Okay, Ryan, now I know them. What do I do with that? Right? Okay. So how does that affect or what can you do now to, you know, adapt your presentation to, to meet them? Or how can you build that or with that knowledge? Because that's the other part that, that people don't say. They just say it's important to know who you're speaking to. And they assume that you'll be able to make those connections. Right? Yeah. We'll be right back to the show in just a moment. Like me, you have a message to share with your audience, and it's important. In fact, it could change their lives. But first, you need to be clear about two things, exactly who you are trying to help and what you can offer them that no one else can, because it all starts there. And it's all about your brand. Brandface sponsors this podcast, and they help people just like you to define, develop, and display a brand that positions you as an authority. It's time to make sure you stand out. Find out more at learnaboutbrandface.com. That's learnaboutbrandface.com. Now, back to the show. I, I wonder, though, why do you feel it is important to know your audience? It's important to know them because it's important to know what makes them tick in the sense of, so what will get their attention? It's important to know what will get their interest. 
because in the time you have with them, I'm speaking for the practicality in the real world, right? People have a million things to do. Nowadays, we're all on Zoom. Everyone's or, or on Teams or some sort of the web conferencing platform. And so after the third or fourth hour, people are, are the, the attention spans are pretty short. And it's just, mm. we don't have the cognitive energy to stay focused. We're not, uh, human beings aren't built that way. So what can you say to them to touch a nerve, to get to them so that it resonates and you have their interest, you have their attention because you need their interest and attention to in- influence them. That's step one. Once you know they're listening, you have their attention, then it's okay. What can you say to them and in what order to influence them to do what you would like them to do? So then it comes down to that if they're numbers people, if they like facts, if they're logical, uh, logically motivated, right? Are they emotionally motivated? Do they like the feel good stories? In which case you'd use case studies and scenarios to, to help uh, support your case, whatever you'd like them to do. You may bring it more to life, right? I've often seen a lot of companies in the automobile industry when they're talking about the one was talking about more mirrors, more cameras to, for better awareness for the driver and what one of the approaches they use, they use statistics, they use the data, but then supplementary to that, they used to take Jane, for example, Jane has been this and that. And they use like a real life example, which actually brought the facts and figures to life because in the boardroom, I'm sure some, some of the talks can get quite cold. If you're just speaking, we're talking about people's lives, but we're talking about them in terms of dollars and cents. So sometimes we need to really humanize that conversation. So knowing who you're speaking to and what will resonate with them will help you to decide not only what to include, what language to deliver it in and what sequence, what order to deliver it in that will be most effective. Yeah. I want to share with you something that, that I experienced that relates to this and, and get your perspective on it. I have my own thoughts on it, but I'd be interested to hear your take. Please. Uh, so there was a, a before COVID, there was a speaking competition I was in. It was, it was a mixture of events. So one of them was a nano speech, which is a two minute speech, which is very challenging to do. So of course I decided I would tackle a simple topic for mine, which was the meaning of life. <laughs> and, and then there was a, what they call a tall tales contest, which is where you tell us, you tell a story and then you super exaggerate it and it turns into this crazy comic thing. Going in, I, I was in both competitions performing, competing, I should say. And the, the, the speech I was most happy with, most competent with as well, I would say, was the two minute one. I felt so much work had got into it and I knew exactly what beats to hit. It was so well rehearsed. It had humor, it had all the things I wanted to say, and it had exactly every point that I wanted to make. I thought it was a, definitely a winning speech. The one I was perhaps a bit less sure about was the tall tale stuff. It's kind of a wild story, a bit wacky, a bit out there. Humor can be a fickle thing. Sometimes it connects, sometimes it doesn't. So that's the one I was perhaps a bit unsure about. The one that won was the tall tale speech, which was surprising to me. The one that Mm -hmm. didn't win, I think I came second in, in the nano speeches, was the one that I expected to win with. And when I look back on that, I realized that I was speaking to a very universal audience and I had my message that I wanted to get out there, but it clearly didn't quite resonate Mm. with everybody in the audience. It wasn't a universal message. So I just wonder if you have a perspective on that and like what you should perhaps be mm-hmm. thinking about aiming for when you are speaking or presenting to an audience that perhaps you don't know or contains all sorts of everybody that you can't really specify what you're going to be delivering to. 
Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for sharing that experience, though. That was really enjoyable. I, I enjoyed listening to that. So I would say, and I wrote an article on this recently, I, I would say when you're delivering, and again, it depends on the setting. If you're doing a presentation, let's say in, in the corporate world, in business, okay, you should have your primary audience identified, your target audience, and then their secondary audiences and, and extension, like tertiary audiences. Your main audience, your target audience, that is who you're looking to move. That is who you're looking to impact and affect. And to that end, when you're designing it, when you're designing your presentation and creating your visual aids and structuring it, you should be designing it for that one person, right? You will reach more people if you focus on one person. So who is the decision maker in your situation? Or who is the typical person who you think, who you want to reach? Even if they're a combination of people, if they're imaginary or envisioned, okay? Think about that person, their, their traits, their attributes, their likes, their dislikes. Right? Do they like to hear the whole long backstory of details or do they like headlines only, for example? You get all those. Once you have all that information to work with, then you're crafting your presentation for that person. And ultimately, that'll yield a better result, like a what more widespread success. And the reason is because the folks who are in your target audience, you will hit them directly. That's who it's geared for. That's who it's, it's uh, directed towards. The folks in the secondary audience, even if they're not fully moved, they understand what's happening. They understand like in, in a boardroom, okay, you're writing a marketing plan, you're presenting a marketing plan to get approved by your, your superiors, but there's your colleagues in the, the room too, let's say your colleagues will know what's happening. They know that you're presenting really to, this is who you, your main target audience is, and that's who you want to move. So that's the advice I would give is think of, keep one person in mind. And typically it's the decision maker who you need on your side to support you or to agree with you most. And if you just focus on them, you'll have a better chance of success across the board. You can't be all things to all people. I'm sure you know. And that's one of the reasons that TED Talks are very successful because they're not very specific. They're usually, TED Talks are like wide ranging topics, health, nutrition, teamwork, meditation, confidence. They're things that apply to everyone. They're not going to go in and say, okay, let's talk about, I don't know, one, one particular thing that, you know, that only like 4% of the population has to, to deal with, for example. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. I mean, one thing that probably should, I should highlight is that public speaking competitions are not the same as getting up and giving a presentation or delivering a speech to a professional organization or something where you're going to be delivering to specifically for the purpose of maybe information to the audience or changing hearts and minds or whatever it is you're there for after dinner mm -hmm. entertaining whatever it is it's a different thing so what you get judged on for that is probably different as well and so there's one of the things i had to i've had to realize from competing as a speaker is that it doesn't actually tell you all that much about the content of your speech that maybe gives you some clues mm. as to what really hit with people and what didn't but ultimately i think if you're competing with a universal audience who has uh, young old new people new speakers older speakers wherever else then it is a good idea probably to have shared experience and universal messages that they can all relate to as much as possible because you want everyone to mm -hmm. get buy-in on that Whereas when you have an audience that is there and you, you are there for a purpose that you want to deliver to them, not that you're competing with other people, then your message becomes the priority rather than winning a contest. So, uh, 
whoever it hits with and however it hits with them is absolutely fine. It will resonate with the people it's meant to resonate with and it, and it probably won't with the people it's not. And that's okay. So there, there are different reasons for speaking and different speaking environments that doesn't always tell you exactly what you need to know. But I would say from a competing point of view, for anyone who's interested in doing public speaking competition or already does it, I think it is generally better to you to have universal buy-in, especially if you're doing something like the Toastmasters World Championships or something like that, that you want everybody to be able to relate to your story and your topic in some way. So mm. if you pick something that's very particular to you or very niche to you, you probably will cut off large sections of the audience and that probably will cut you out of a contest. But if you have a message in your heart or something that you really want to deliver in a particular way, then that doesn't matter. None of that matters. You can go out and do that. John, may I ask you a question? Yeah. I'm very curious, uh, since you, you brought this up, the competitions, how many people were voting or judging, I guess, and were they all in this? Can you give me some of the background on that? I'm kind of want to, I'm interested. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, yes, it's, uh, it was an unusual contest in that the whole audience had a vote. So generally when you do speaking contests, it's a panel who will vote. Yes. In yeah. this particular contest, the whole audience had votes. Okay. So, uh, it was a bit different. And how many were there? Somewhere around three, 400 people. Okay. Interesting. And they were from all walks of life. Like you said, all demographic across the board. Yeah. Yeah. The whole, whole range of people, but the, the primary unifying factor was uh, all involved in Toastmasters in some way. Interesting. That's really interesting. And then, so with the people at the end, they get to, do they rank who came first, who came second, or do they just get to vote for one person or how does that work? They get to vote for one person. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So you had the second most votes for, for the meaning of life speech? I did. <laughs> and if you had to do it again, would you take a, a, a more broader angle? Like you said, like, like happiness or fulfill or something that was more applicable to more widely applicable? With that knowledge now, yes, because what I, some of the feedback that I got directly from a few people there was that it, what I, my message was pushing up against some other people's beliefs. Mm. So because I'm not a particularly religious or spiritual person, like my message about the meaning of life was about nothing having meaning except the meaning that you give it. And so mm. you create meaning. And of course, people who have certain religious beliefs don't necessarily mm. share that. They think things have inherent meaning or God-given meaning. And it's like, well, I, I don't believe that. So it's quite possible. And, and this is a mind read for me to some degree as well, because I only know from a couple of people feedback I got that a lot of people didn't connect with that message because they it rubbed against some of their existing beliefs. Yeah. And you, you brought something up there just to the end too. It is for speakers and whether you're public speaking or presenting, it is difficult to obtain accurate feedback sometimes, right? People are not waiting in line to tell you what you did right, what you did wrong, where you can improve, even the feedback. So sometimes you have to really, we say really read the tea leaves and try to figure out where you could improve and what you did well, what you should repeat. Because unfortunately, it's not like, it's, it's not like, like writing or like another form of communication where you can see the errors, right? It's sometimes it's a little bit more challenging. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's, it, it is kind of interesting that in public speaking competitions, particularly, especially in earlier stages of contests where you're less likely to have an experienced panel of judges, 
you may have some, but probably the vast majority of people, just people they manage to pull in and say, hey, judge our competition for us. It doesn't really tell you a lot about your ability to perform or not. It, it often ends up, it's kind of luck of the draw. Like people hear something that they like or connect with a speaker in a certain way, or they find one speaker more attractive than the other. Who knows? But mm. it doesn't really tell you whether you're a good speaker or not. It, and I think the danger for some people is like if, if you go in there thinking that that's what for validation or anything like that and you don't win, that you end up perhaps thinking that you're not good at this or that other people are better than you. And it's like, well, maybe better on the day or maybe just better mm -hmm. to that panel of judges or whatever else, but it doesn't actually say a lot because, it, and again, this is mindset, like you were talking about earlier, focusing on the negative. It doesn't matter how many people then come up to you at the end and say, oh, I thought yours was the best speech, <laughs> but it didn't win. <laughs> right. You know? Yeah, yeah. It's it's a crazy thing. So it's, it, I'd say it's not for everyone, but just to be careful and have that kind of mindset. But yeah, getting feedback is, is tough. You're probably going to get more feedback from an audience if you really do cock it up than if it goes well, or if you are exceptional. As a speaker, if you have really worked at it and really honed your craft, you likely will get people coming up to you and, and hopefully get some referrals at the end of a talk or speech as well, because that's something you want to aim for. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and in, in my world, yeah, you're right. Thank you for outlining that as well. That's a good point. Yes. And in, in, I say in my world, but my day to day, I'm, I usually, when I teach and I train or I coach folks, I'm working with them achieve a goal through speaking, through communication in a, a particular setting. It's typically not a competition, but yeah. So we measure success a little bit differently and we measure success. Obviously a good indication is if people said, yes, you were a great speaker. Yeah, I really enjoyed your talk. That's of course, that's great. But when I measure success, I measure it. Like, did you achieve what you, your desired outcome yeah. was right? So, and, and even if it's a situation where sometimes in business, folks have to give an update to, they call it an all hands meeting or something. And there would be like a few hundred to a thousand people listening to, you know, the founder or the co-founder of the company who sometimes is an introvert because they're not really, they don't have a lot of confidence. They're kind of soft-spoken. They prefer one-on-ones. And when they're meeting, sometimes they're just apprising everyone of this is what's happening with the company. It's just an update. And you need to move forward with this knowledge in mind as you perform your skill, your jobs and your roles. But sometimes the, you don't see whether or not you're effective or not for days or a week later, whether or not the behavior changed, right? So some, I think it's, it's, it's much easier to highlight and to provide feedback in the moment for other things. And that's what we yeah. want. We, many people want that for speaking. We want to know right away, but it doesn't always work that way. Sometimes you have to wait a little bit, like it's delayed. There's a lag time to see if it, it's actually taken, if the audience actually did what you want them to do. And then from there, then you can kind of dig in and, and tweak it. But there's a little bit of patience involved, I would say. Yeah, definitely. The, the, purpose of, the purpose of your talk is probably the most important part there as well. And I think really when, what we relate to most in the show is generally about speaking in professional capacities, either as a paid speaker or, or in a speaking event or something along those lines, or speaking professionally, pitching for business or presenting to a company or an organization or a board uh, or those kinds of things. And mm -hmm. they can be very, there can be very different outcomes to those things. But ultimately, you know, the one thing you want is, and the matters the most is, did your message come across? Did you fulfill your outcome? Do you change people's minds or impact people in some way? 
Right. And you know, maybe some of the outcomes for speaking contests can be a little bit different. And <laughs> some of the outcomes <laughs> for Toastmasters uh, meetings and likes can be a little bit different as well. But those things can come into it. But in these sorts of environments, yeah, those are the key performance indicators really, aren't they, about did it work? And, and they are lag measures because ultimately you sometimes have to wait and see whether they did, whether they made an impact and whether they've actually changed anything or where people are responding to them in good ways. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting area. You're helping people become more effective communicators. What are the other things that help people become more effective in the communication? So one is, one is word choice and vocabulary. Some, the more you have to, to choose from, the more you can wear, the more phrases you can use, and the more you can adapt and be flexible for your audience. So that's one thing people can always work on. You always improve your vocabulary and improve your phrasing. So like the, the combination of words that you use, the sequence of words, that, that's important too. Even things like learning different idioms and different uh, terms of speech and expressions, those are valuable for folks as well. And sometimes that gets overlooked, but basically you want to build your toolkit with as many uh, different techniques and strategies you can use to communicate effectively as possible. And then what through exposure and, or through secondhand, through witnessing other experiences, you can, you can see what works, what doesn't work for which situation. And then before long, you're reading someone's facial expressions, interpreting it in real time, changing what you're going to say to, to get your desired outcome, to reach your effect. And so those are a couple things. I know people think they have this misconception. I say, I know this because I've heard it hundreds and hundreds of times. People say, I'm sure they've said it to you, Johnny, I'm just not a good speaker. I've never, I've never been a good public speaker. I've always been poor at it. I don't know what to do. Right. And we have this you know, belief that it's like our height, like we can't change it. Right. Like this is, I'm a poor speaker. That's it. I'm a poor speaker, but no, it, it can be changed. It's definitely a skill. You can work at it and you can improve it. And once you get the basics down, then it's almost like you're running to it that you're running and you're not worried about what your arms are doing. They're taking care of themselves, right? You're just looking at the, and that's what happens when you're speaking. You're not really worried about your facial expressions because they're taking care of itself because they're, they're in, in captured in your mm. delivery. So yeah, that's what I would say to that. Yeah, absolutely. Who in your mind would be a good modern day example of a great communicator, a great speaker? Hmm. Other than you, <laughs> that's that's a really great answer, and I, and I and I appreciate that. But yeah, other than me, one person I, I one person who's a great speaker is Simon Sinek. He does a lot of uh, talks on leadership. He's actually written a few yeah. books, and if you listen to him, he's very. It's not that he's without mistake because I can't tell you. I, I've listened. He's he has ums and ahs occasionally, but. His message and his delivery is very, very effective. You can tell that this is a person who was not just gifted with, with the ability to speak. This is someone who's worked at it, right? And from some, from a professional coach myself, you can tell his timing, his timing, his sequencing, the way he delivers. Well, there's, there's certain strategies we use, like we give things in threes, right? And Veni Vidi Vici and like, ready, set, go. We like, and there's certain things. And then the way they deliver it pairs with that to make it more effective. It's interesting because in academia, when we teach writing, we teach mm -hmm. people not to repeat. Don't repeat the same thing. Don't repeat the same words. But in speaking, it's the opposite, right? Some of the most memorable, the most, you think about probably the two most memorable speeches of all time are Martin Luther King's, I have a dream 
and yeah. Winston Churchill's, right? We'll fight, we'll fight on the beaches, we'll fight in the air, we'll fight in the fields, like in the, re- the repetition based. So there's something to that, like cognitively, we, we retain it and it's more impactful. I, I do agree that rhetorical devices are a little different in speaking than they are in writing. Mm-hmm. Right. So, yeah. So I, I guess if I had to say a modern speaker, people wanted to listen to, yeah, Simon Sinek, he's very polished and he's worked at it for many years. Yeah, that's good. Uh, it's, it's always interesting though, because I, I speak to a lot of people when I ask these sorts of questions, like who's a great leader these days? Who's a, a really good speaker who's standing out to you? People sometimes really struggle to come up with uh, an answer to that, which I think is a is a great shame. Uh, I, I hope it. You know, I, I would hope it's because there's so many to choose from, but I think it's maybe not because of that. <laughs> it's maybe because there is so many are so many people out there, but also there's perhaps not so many people who really stand out as being exceptional. So yeah, it's it's. I'm glad you were able to to come up with a good answer. I've seen Simon Sinek speak in some of his TED talks and, and things, and he is very good. What, in your own opinion? make somebody particularly persuasive or makes them particularly influential on the stage? The message is important. So to me, it comes from two things. One is confidence. And I mentioned this earlier, you have to have the confidence in what you're doing and that will shine, that will resonate, that will come through. If you really believe that you have a message, you have a product, you have whatever your service that people will benefit from, that people will, you know, enjoy you will be more persuasive because you'll be, you'll feel like you're holding all the cards and that will shine through. It's it's human nature. The second thing and what ties into that is designing your presentation in a way or designing your speech in a way that builds to a point where the, we call it like a tipping point where you're building your case, you're supporting it with evidence and with facts that the audience will eventually they'll be swayed to your side. And there's strategies you can use. There's a lot of, some people call, there's a toolman strategy where you use a, you build in a rebuttal and then you squash it. You might be thinking this, but, right? And you do that proactively and throughout your speech. So there's some devices, you, some tools you can use, but ultimately it, it really comes from being persuasive, comes from the structure of your content and what you're going to say in what order, paired with your belief in it yourself. And when that happens, you are really, you embody that and then you are the vessel. And just to, to give you an example, to build that, we spoke earlier about people who say, I want to speak like someone else. And I worked with a client recently, he's in the tech space and he had to, to deliver this presentation and he was approaching me and he said, I want to speak like uh, Johnny Ivy. I think he's actually Sir Johnny Ivy now, but he was for with with Apple and delivering their latest product launch. He showed me this video that that he was that he wanted to to they captured Johnny Ivy that he wanted to you know resemble, and in this video Johnny Ivy's walking out in front of all of these Apple fans with the latest computer that they built, and he's walking out there with all the confidence in the world, like I'm going to be giving you guys what you've been waiting for for the last two years, right? And he's waiting to, to reveal all the benefits of these new things. So like when my client was saying, this is who I want to speak like, and I, I had to a little bit kind of reel him in to say that, to show him like, hey, these are the circumstances here, right? The audience already knows who he is. He's basically a celebrity. They're already warm to him because they know they're going to get what they want. And he really has their full attention, their full control. And he's just basically giving them stuff. Right. 
I said, you're walking into, you're pitching your product to an unfamiliar audience. They don't know you. They don't know what your product is. You're going to have to get, try to get their, capture their attention right away, right? You can't just simply walk on the stage and just pause for five seconds and win, build the anticipation, right? It's not going to happen. You can't manufacture that. Yeah. You can't do that organically. So, so yeah, it was a little bit of a, like an understanding of the circumstances and the situation. And once we got a, a grasp on that, then it was okay. Then we can design it and we can create what we want. But I think that's the biggest message I would say to anyone listening out there. You need to know what you're up against, what you're walking into, right? Because no two speeches, no two presentations are the same, right? And the more you understand what you're getting into, the more you'll be able, you'll be better prepared to succeed in it, if that makes sense. Hmm. I, think that, I think that's good advice. What do you feel will be the, the main thing that people will gain from reading your book once it's released? I hope that they will, the, the idea was that if they follow the framework outlined in the book, they'll have afforded themselves the highest probability to succeed in whatever speaking engagement they find themselves in. That was, that's the plan. And in each of the chapters, I outline each of the steps in the pyramid in, in the framework. And one of the final steps is rehearsals and nerve control or controlling your nerves, anxiety reduction, that type of thing so that you can deliver effectively when you're publicly speaking. And there's a number of strategies in there for that as well. But that, that's what I would like it. To, I, I really want it to serve as a guide or a playbook for anyone who has an upcoming speech or an upcoming presentation, and they haven't really done one, they haven't really been taught or shown how to do one. And they've seen clips online and they've been in the audience and they've gleaned and put together this understanding of what it should yeah. be, but they're not really sure. So I'm really hoping it'll be a resource for them that they can go through and they'll be able to pick out the important parts for them and apply it and really make a difference and help propel them in their success. Well, I, I like reading as many books about presentation skills and communication as I can. So I look forward to having the opportunity to read that once it's available. You got one coming your way, Johnny. <laughs> I, I was hoping you'd say that it was a, it was a very subtle cue is the right answer. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Ryan. Um, what is going to be the best way for people who've been enjoying this conversation and want to find out more about you and perhaps maybe even be ready for when your book release comes up? What's the best way for them to connect with you and find out more? Sure. Yeah. So my website is professionalpresentationservices.com and uh, you can get a hold of me there. I'll, I'll, otherwise, I'm on LinkedIn. You can connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm, I'm happy to chat, happy to help. And yeah, my, my book will have its own website when it comes out. It's going to be called it's called the effective presenter but it'll be i'll make it as available as i can so it will be on linkedin it'll be everywhere because i i think it will be an absolute value to anyone looking to level up their presentation skills great well let's see if uh, if we can help get you onto a, a bestsellers list when it releases them <laughs> i would be indebted my friend <laughs> if we could do anything to help with that would be fantastic and um, let, let me ask you then, one thing I ask all of my guests then is not just to uh, give a recommendation for their own books, which I think is always important, but if there was a book that I said to you, well, what, what book should I read or what book would you always recommend to somebody that may be communication related or maybe just something that's had a big impact on you on your life, what's the book you would most recommend? Can I say two? <clears throat> can I give two? You can. Okay. Yeah. So the first one is an oldie, but a goodie, as we say over here in, the, in North America. 
The first one is How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. It is, for anyone who hasn't read it yet, if you're looking to influence people, if you're looking to persuade people, please read this book. It is an absolute gem. It is the, it is the best four or five hours you can invest in your life. The next book that I would say was uh, profound in my life, in my development, it's very tiny. It almost looks like a pamphlet. It's called Managing Oneself. It's by Peter Drucker. He's a best-selling author. I believe he was a Harvard professor. And it's a mm. quick read. You can do it in less than an hour. And basically, the philosophy of the book is to understand yourself, your strengths and your weaknesses, and to put yourself in positions to grow your strengths and to highlight your strengths. Yeah. And that has really been a key to, to my success and where I am in my life. And I would recommend that to, to any person. I think that applies across the board. Great, great recommendations. I hadn't come across that that the the book you mentioned though, man, managing oneself, but uh, I had certainly come across a lot. I've come across a lot of Peter Drucker's other books and information, and uh, he's he's a great author. Certainly, someone who's worth checking out. Now, I think we may have already done this, but it, it's going to bear for a recap. That the one thing that you would hope most people would take away from this conversation today. Right. So the, the one thing I would say, and this is again, across the board, whether you're doing a public speaking competition or you have a, a high stakes presentation for an investment pitch that you need for your company, you must know your, as much about your circumstances as possible. And that includes who you're presenting to, okay, what you want to happen at the, as an outcome and how much time you have to do it in. Okay. Those three pillars will help set the foundation for a successful presentation or a successful speech. And once you have a hold of those, they will really shape and guide the rest of your the rest of your pitch or the rest of your speech. Excellent. Ryan, it's been a real pleasure speaking to you today. I knew it would be. I knew it was going to be a, a good conversation. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. I hope you have too. Thank you for coming and being my guest on Speaking Influence. Thank you so much for having me. And yeah, happy to, to come back whenever you'd like. It was a great conversation. You'll be very welcome anytime. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you've enjoyed the show. If you did, make sure you are subscribed to receive future episodes. You may have noticed if you are a Spotify listener that you can now leave a star rating for your podcast shows. So please do consider leaving a star rating for Speaking Influence. It's quick and easy to do. You can, of course, leave us a more detailed review on Apple Podcasts or on podchase.com, and we would certainly love to hear from you. Please do take the opportunity to check out our incredible sponsors, Brandface, and you could do that by visiting learnaboutbrandface.com. You can also check out my shiny new newsletter available exclusively on LinkedIn. So please do come and connect with me there. I'll put a link in the show notes for anyone who wants to check it out. It's already picking up a great following with some articles and updates and information about the show and more besides. I hope you can join me there. Next time, my guest is going to be Alyssa Lansdell, who is bringing to us a wealth of experience from her acting and presenting career. And she is now helping other people to be able to become engaging and powerful presenters. You're not going to want to miss that. It was such a fun conversation. She was really great to speak to. That's going to be on our very next show. Remember, there's two shows a week now for Speaking Influence. I hope you can join us for all of those. Double the content, still the same price. Just share the show out with your friends and network. Or if you would like to support the show financially, do visit the Supercast page. Again, you'll find that in the show notes. Whatever you're doing, wherever you're going, have an amazing rest of your day. Go and make great things happen.